Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right. This week's guest is Jeff Colt, a professional ultra runner for On Running based out of Carbondale, Colorado. Jeff's had a pretty successful year on the trail so far with a campaign that kicked off by securing a golden ticket to Western States, a race he's been chasing for years at the Black Canyon 100K back in February. Our conversation picks up there and tells the story of the events leading up to Western States, how his day ultimately played out, and his reflections on the entire experience, which I won't spoil for you just yet. Jeff is an incredibly cerebral guy and entertained all of my various tangents into topics like literature, the Wilderness Act, and a whole lot more. But before I bring Jeff on, I do want to take a quick second and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, as well as discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love. We also recently rolled out Blister Plus Spot Insurance membership options, which will provide you with great injury coverage for all of your favorite activities in addition to all of the benefits of a Blister membership. For more info on that, check out the link in the show notes. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. So I think a good place to start uh, was actually something I noticed on one of the emails you sent me. I noticed that uh, your sign-off was a line from uh, Gary Snyder. And I'm wondering when you started to read Gary Snyder and how he's kind of impacted your relationship to spending time outside and running. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go light, learn the flowers, stay together for the children. Uh, Gary Snyder. Gary Snyder's been my favorite, um, my favorite poet and um, I guess ecological essayist. Uh, conservation biologist, however you want to try to name him or frame him. Um, he's an amazing thinker and philosopher. And since uh, since I was 17 or so, I think I got pretty into the beat generation while I was in high school, reading on the road and then reading Dharma bums. And um, I started thinking you know, more and more about those characters. And it wasn't really like Neil Cassidy and uh, on the road that like, captivated me it was really jaffe rider and uh in dharma bums and um the more i looked into it and learned that you know that character was based on gary snyder and that uh, a lot of like the han shan poetry was poetry that gary snyder had translated from um different eastern languages into uh into english i really started to hone in on gary snyder and um yeah, phenomenal writer. Uh, I think a lot of his poems speak to me in just this this beauty of being able to have a rooted scientific understanding of nature and actually present that eloquently. Um, I think he's one of the best thinkers out there at making science and like science rooted in nature really beautiful uh, in the written word. I know that you studied geosciences at, at Middlebury, right? So yep. I guess that's kind of like a natural union between um, kind of the, the humanities and science right there. 
Yeah. And I also studied English. And I think I always had that kind of desire to, you know, capture what Gary Snyder was able to capture or what John McPhee is able to capture in these like, uh, you know, being able to explain our earth systems in a way that actually had people wanting to like turn the page, page after page. And that's still a, a life goal. We might get there eventually, but uh, it's a, it's a slow roll on the being able to present our kind of complexities of nature and, and beautiful prose. Yeah. I grew up in, in San Francisco. So naturally I gravitated towards uh, the beats when I was, when I was in high school and yeah, I, I ate up everything Kerouac wrote and uh, read the Dharma bums a few times and ended up actually climbing Matterhorn peak, uh, which uh, Gary and, and Jack uh, summit in the book um, in high school. And that was like, yeah, man, just retracing their steps was such a cool, cool thing for me. That's um, amazing. Yeah. I mean that I, I applied to like work, uh, for the forest service at different, like desolate, like, you know, desolation or these different wilderness watches, um, early on in college and didn't end up get, getting any positions out in the West, but ended up working for the Appalachian mountain club hut system back in New Hampshire as a naturalist, as, um, kind of a hut supervisor and then working in the working in kind of the the more remote uh caretaker positions and i think their their influence definitely has played a huge role in my life and my kind of interest in experiencing nature at a at a certain pace in long time periods is that how you kind of fell into trail running working uh in those huts on in the whites yeah. Uh, in some ways, in so many other ways, I've been trail running since I was like seven years old. Um, I got going on like the kind of USATF junior Olympic program and Hershey track and field program when I was like a seven year old, um, kind of following in my older brothers and older sisters footsteps. So I've been competing in cross country since I was, you know, in, in the third grade. Um, I think the, the hut system, the Appalachian mountain club, what that did for me was it changed my reference and understanding of distance and time traveled. Um, there's this great, uh, great Stephen Wright, who's like a really dry comedian. Stephen Wright one-liner that is uh, um, anywhere's walking distance if you have the time. And living in those huts, working in those huts, I was like pretty out there. And um, I'd look at the trails and be like, oh, you know, like, man, there aren't many hiking options from Greenleaf. Like there's only two loops that are in the seven to eight mile range. And then I started scratching my head and being like, but there's so much if I was able to go like 22 or 25 miles. And uh, that kind of changed changed my understanding of human ability in a lot of ways as I, as I started dreaming and looking at maps and exploring, you know, what a six hour or eight hour day might look like if I was actually like running most of the time. When did that kind of become competitive for you? And again, competing, like I've always been incredibly competitive. Uh, so through middle school, high school, I ran for two years at Middlebury before actually just wanting to focus on rock climbing and focus on uh, some other other pursuits. But throughout that time, I was working at the Appalachian Mountain Club Huts and there's an objective at the Huts called the Hut Traverse, which links 
all eight huts from the easternmost hut, Carter Notch, to the westernmost hut, Lonesome Lake Hut, and you cross kind of all the the major um, ridges in the in the White Mountains. And so my first summer there, when I was nineteen, um, you like hear lore of like the hut traverse like fastest time. I think at that point it was just you know the hut traverse record. Like wasn't thinking of this as like FKTs outside of the huts. I didn't really realize there were people paying attention to these things. But within the huts, it's like, all right, well, the goal is to go under 24 hours for this like 50 some mile objective. And the fastest time was 1238. And uh, so like right away, I kind of came in with my competitive drive and also my experience in history and running and was like, oh, I'm going to break that record, like my first go at it. And uh, I think I chose to do it on the summer solstice. Um, which is hike naked day on the Appalachian trail. So I was like, not only that, I'm going to do it like naked and kind of had this like intense ego around it of like, you know, I could do that with my pants around my ankles type of type of deal. I failed pretty miserably that first go. And it, it planted a seed of like, you know, questioning, can I actually do this? And, and started to grow a lot more competitive just with myself uh, on these longer adventure runs and stuff throughout New Hampshire and Vermont. Do you think you still have that, that ego or is that kind of a product of youth? Uh, That was mostly, I think a product of youth. I definitely like, I think I have a good relationship with my ego in terms of like, yeah, I am, I am confident. I like, I need to believe in myself because otherwise I kind of wonder like what's worth, you know, why is it even worth trying this if I don't believe that I could, you know, do the best or, or like actually win. But I think the more ultra races I've done, ultra running is a beautifully humbling sport. And it only takes looking at some of the real veterans uh, of the sport to like, actually understand, like, the more you do it, the, the better kind of your physiological, mental, spiritual ability to actually adapt and, and understand, you know, these high, high peaks and low, low valleys that you're going through are, are part of it. So I think early on, like seeing Jeff Browning and kind of like what he's capable of, uh, it's really easy for me to like, look at like just the success he was having in like his you know 2018 season say, but it's another thing to be like, wow, he's been doing this for 20 plus years. And there's a lot of storied failures throughout that time as well. And it takes, you know, all of these um, trials and tribulations to actually like grow to be that veteran and having raced maybe 20, 25 races over 50 K now. Um, I think it's, it's a lot easier for me to set the ego on the shelf and, uh, know that like patience is the the best thing that I have going for me. I think that's one of the coolest things about our sport is that it's very much a, a matter of like long-term growth, you know, like Jeff is what in his forties and he's still kind of at the top of, of his, you know, capabilities. So I think we're both, you know, I'm 29. I think you're what, like 31. Yeah. We're both, uh, we're both just fledglings. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to know that we have like such a long, uh, runway ahead of us until, until we kind of realize our potential. Um, do you think about like your long-term career? Totally. I, I, I like love this. I was organizing my desk the other day and I found this and I had this by my bed, like, for a couple of years after I think first racing Jeff Browning and it says grit, the passion and the perseverance to pursue an interest over the long run. 
And then it says, so get after it, be the best at 45. And uh, that was like totally just like by like being so moved and inspired by meeting Jeff Browning. And uh, I think the, the real, the real goal in all of my like trail and ultra running is to have the opportunity to run at hard rock. And if I could have a single focus race that I could do each year and have that be hard rock, that would be like my, my top choice um, bar none. So I know like realistically I've been putting in for hard rock for five years. I haven't gotten in. Maybe I put in for another five years and I don't get in now. I'm, you know, 36, 37. Like I want to still have this like built up resilience and fitness so that when I do have a chance to do that race, I get to kind of enjoy every moment of it and, uh, and put my best, yeah, kind of best foot forward that day. What draws you to that race in particular? Ooh, I mean, in so many ways, the San Juans, like I, I choose a lot of my races based on the beauty of that area. And, um, it's a reason like, I don't necessarily like seek out some of these like classic races. Like I think JFK might be a good example. It's like, I'm not necessarily motivated or moved by that landscape and terrain, but hard rocketing more than maybe any other is the one that's just like the San Juans are so magical all of those valleys and I've had a good amount of exploring. I've gotten to do that down, down through Silverton and Telluride. And, um, it's really, really special place. And, uh, I think when we look at kind of the, the North American or, or USA ultra scene compared with Europe or I guess even Canada or, um, you know, the rest of the world for that matter, our wilderness zones, which are, our sacred, sacred places, like they're so special and I'm really grateful we have them. They're also the reason that like the U S doesn't get to showcase it's kind of primo terrain. Like, you know, you think running around Mont Blanc is pretty cool. Like imagine running through Yosemite Valley in a race. Like we don't get to showcase that because they are national parks or wilderness areas. And I think the one real exception is hard rock um, because it was grandfathered in because it's like right on this wilderness boundary, you get to experience and see some of the most magical places that North America or you know USA has to offer and do so in a competitive endurance hike uh, style. So like I think the the same would probably be true if there was, you know, a race through um, even the Elk Mountains here around Colorado or uh, you know, like the Grand Canyon or, you know, these these really impressive places um we don't have that opportunity in the states and and that's that's the one race that stands out to me as like uber special would you want that opportunity though or is there something kind of like i don't know gratifying about knowing that like these places are 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 preserved and like immune to events like that totally i think my only real frustration comes down to livestock the wilderness act has this like hilarious inclusion that like you know wilderness means xyz it means that you can't be growing food there right it has to be like natural on that front but like livestock in my opinion is growing food so like the fact that like ranchers can get permits to have cows in wilderness zones that like really kind of gets my goat um and like i see that as a as a pretty significant impact if you were to look at like what's the actual impact of 150 people um running a specific route i think the the wilderness acts 
incredible. It's one of like the, again, back to Gary Snyder, some of the best like written language about nature and, and what it means. It's, it's some of the only really like flowery, beautiful language I think, uh, that has, has passed through Congress. But, uh, yeah, those restrictions, like they do make it really challenging for, I guess, this community to, to be able to grow in a way that like, you know, ultra trail Iger gets to like go around the Iger. Like that's crazy cool. Um, we, we won't necessarily see that in the States. And I think in the grand scheme of things, that's a better, that's a good thing, right? Like the wilderness acts are really good thing. And that doesn't mean you can't be creative about like fat ass 50 Ks or fun point to point objectives that you encourage other people to do. Um, it just means that actual organized efforts in these areas, um, won't, you know, won't be possible. And think of someone like Jack Quenzel, who's been after all like the FKTs and stuff. I mean, there's a really spiritual side to doing a hard effort by yourself and knowing that you are running something, hoping to run it harder and faster than anyone has. And, uh, I actually, I think that ethos lines up with the wilderness act in a lot of really cool ways because it, it's going to connect that individual with, I think nature and, uh, kind of the, the surrounding wilderness in a more impactful, meaningful way than if there were support crew and whatnot out there. Totally. And I mean, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why like Western States has to remain so small because I know that they have to kind of pull teeth to get the permits to go kind of on the PCT and stuff like that, which I don't know. We can talk about Western, uh, if you want, cause I, I do really want to hear your experience, um, not just of the race, but, uh, kind of the, the build up to it. But I don't know. I, I kind of appreciate that it is capped at what, like 370 runners or so. It makes it so much, so much more special when it's, when it's more exclusive. Although like, I don't know, I, I feel like it, it at some point needs to become more inclusive as the sport grows. But, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I mean, Western States was the race I think that first captured my attention in ultra running. Um, I I actually tried the Vermont 50 in 2015 and didn't really know what running 50 miles on dirt roads in Vermont would feel like on my legs and went out pretty hard. And one of the guys I was talking to was talking to me about like getting points for UTMB. And I had literally like, it wasn't just that he was Quebecois and like French Canadian. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, I didn't really realize there was like a system to qualify for different things, but soon thereafter, um, started hearing a little bit more about Western States and learning more about it. And then 2016, when Walmsley had his famous wrong turn, uh, I like, I really started diving into like, what is this race? Um, I started working for uh, backbone media, which is a PR agency here in Carbondale, Colorado, where I live. And, um, my first account was Hoka. So I was like putting out press releases on like them signing Jim Walmsley and Western States just like grew in my mind of like, wait, like I could do that. I could, I could finish top 10 there. I can qualify for that. And, um, really it was my first goal other than I guess trying to run the Hutraverse. Like my first goal was like, I want to, I want to get into Western States and run top 10 there. And, uh, you know, that's still a goal. Uh, cause I, I just missed that, but talk about an amazing race. I mean, 370 people, it does seem like because it is capped at a certain number, it does make it a, a bit more special. And 
they are able to give a lot of attention to the runners who are there. Um, in so many ways, I think Western States has a really good model going for it. I also like, I know the Sierra pretty well. That's like Northern Sierra, like not really the like huge mountains. I didn't know how beautiful it was going to be. And that course is gorgeous. Um, you know, Western States is a really impressive point to point course. I think there's no part of it that I'm like, yeah, I'd get rid of that section. I remember like I had a, a hard moment around mile like 85 where I felt pretty bad. Um, kind of Green near Gate Aub- area? Past Green Gate, kind of Auburn Lakes okay. uh, area. And I like, I just needed to eat real food. And um, came to the aid station, actually saw a friend of mine who was like volunteering there, which was super special and really uplifting. Ate some food and, and we left. And David Kilgore was pacing me. And uh, it was like this amazing light. And that section of trail, the Auburn Lakes trails, are some of the prettiest trails I've like ever run on. And I don't know if it was just in that moment with the light or if it was like my head space after running for uh, like 13 hours or whatnot. But all, all I could say to David was like, this is so gorgeous. Like, how amazing is this? Like, are you seeing this? And like, then the goldenrod all lit up. And um, from from start to finish, Western States was a, a truly magical day. And um, really, really cool to experience. Yeah, I, I paced uh, Leah Yingling for those miles. And I think it was probably a couple hours after you you came through, but the, the sun was setting. And, and you're right, like there's nothing like um, those trails at that, that time of day. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you ended up there. Because uh, if you kind of set the goal of running Western States in, in what, like 2015, 2016, um, what was the process like over those like intervening years uh, to get to the starting line? You know, in some ways it was pretty frustrating. Uh, and that was just like, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm still not like exclusively a full-time pro runner. I have a full-time job and I, I like having a full-time job. So when I looked at the golden ticket races for Western States, I only ever really got to choose one. This idea of like chasing a golden ticket and doing like two or three races, like that wasn't going to work out with vacation time. That cause it wasn't going to work out with my other main passion, which is downhill skiing and like backcountry skiing. So in 2017 or sorry, yeah, 2017, I kind of worked up to being comfortable at like a hundred kilometer distance. I did, um, some 50 Ks and the grand traverse, which is a 40 mile race and had a great race at USATF, um, trail marathon championships at the Moab trail marathon and kind of went in to the 28 season being like, I'm, I'm going to Bandera. I'm going to get this golden ticket. And at that point I still had never run kind of over that 50 mile mark. Um, I just did not understand nutrition and hydration at all. I hit a wall, like proverbially, like I hit a wall, but like I have not hit a wall like that really ever since. Um, I basically ran the first 50, 52 miles with like no, no nutrition and just drinking some water. Um, and so was kind of in, in contention short, you know, short ways behind Cody Reed and Mario Mendoza ended up, um, fifth. I like figured out how to turn it around and got some food in me and, and made it to the finish. Um, I went back to Mandera in 2019, they moved the course. So that kind of took away my advantage of having run that race before 
which is a little bit of a bummer. It happened like five days before the race. Um, and I ran a great race. I think like up to that point, it was certainly the best race I'd run. Just so happened Tyler Green and Chris Mako ran better races that day. They were a couple minutes ahead of me by the finish. Um, I closed in like four or five consecutive sub six minute miles, like trying to chase them down, like literally running with like all of my heart and spirit. And it didn't, it was short. I didn't, didn't achieve the goal. Um, and yeah, then 2020 hit and, uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was meant to be for me in 2020. And I guess maybe I, maybe I foresaw what was going on with, with, uh, the world, but I, I left my job in early 2020 and just like wanted a little bit of time traveling and took a trip down to the Baja Divide and uh biked on the Baja Divide with a couple friends on that trail and took about a month up in Canada skiing and um ended up like scratching from Black Canyon didn't um do that I was signed up for canyons in April and was starting to gear up for that with the thought that that would be my golden ticket race um obviously the world shut down canyons didn't happen western states didn't happen 2021 came around and i was uh i was in a position where i wasn't really able to travel like covid lockdown for for me and my community was still pretty real um we were living on a boarding school campus and it was closed bubble so that brought me around to 2022 when i think at that point my dream had faded i wasn't sure like I was even really in contention for it anymore. I, I was in a position where I had some sponsorship backing by on running and, you know, they kind of were asking what I was interested in doing that year and got my wheels turning. Like I think December, maybe 20th, 21st, I was down in Florida visiting my mom and like running and felt pretty good. And, uh, the second week of January kind of made the decision to email Jubilee at Aravapa and see if I could get into black Canyon and at that point I was on like three or four weeks of training. I had to go to Europe for the work I do now, but something just felt right about trying to give it another crack. And, uh, I showed up to black Canyon last February. I think it was February 11th or 12th with a total of like six weeks of training under my belt. Um, after a, a great hundred mile race, like in September, like I, I had a hard summer and fall of racing, but no real prep for that race. And things just worked out. Uh, one of those days where you plan on a lot of runners having some uh, attrition and blowing up. And I tried to be as patient as possible. And I actually executed a, an awesome race and ran the second half of that course faster than anyone else has. And uh, found myself in third place, which this year, that year, third place was enough to actually get me to States. Um, so it was, it was a bit surreal. It was almost like it took me turning my back on like, that as my focus for for it to come together and and actually manifest do you think like not having an extensive training block kind of helped relieve some of uh the pressure going into that race yeah i actually in so many ways i attribute i think the like the covid year of 2020 to spring of 2021 as really helpful for my running and training um during that time, as I'm sure a lot of other people did, I was experiencing just some mental health issues, just kind of processing, I think, the world in a lot of ways. I had quit my job because I, I didn't feel like I had uh, my feet under me in a stable way. And 
like was trying to get my priorities straight. And one of those kind of outcomes of that period was like my mental health and well-being, which I think includes my relationships, um, like my friendships and just like general, um, I guess health in terms of getting good rest and eating well, like all of those things actually have to come before my running training. And I really tried to keep that in mind through the summer of 2021 going into the I'm tough 100. And I showed up like on race day that day, I think feeling more mentally like crisp and soundly like there with, I think the, the right, understanding of like what I wanted to get out of that day. Um, I think really my priorities in line and feeling that way on a race day. One, it didn't matter what happened because that's kind of like was one of the the main things, but I also ran incredibly soundly and was just in the moment enjoying it. I think the entire, the entire day. And so when I went to black Canyon, it was really the same, the same mental space that I was trying to, achieve um which with a lot of work travel going into that race and not a ton of time for training it's just like don't stress like we're going out here to have a great day i can't focus on like the lack thereof or like what runs i missed in the last couple weeks but instead try to think of the big picture of like in the last 20 years i've put in tens and tens of thousands of miles like to to be able to run really well um and yeah, so Black Canyon, it it came together in that way where I think my first goal was to have fun, second goal was to finish, and my third goal was to try to get first. And like they had to kind of happen in that sequence um, for me to be in the headspace that I wanted to be in. Do you think you were able to translate that um, to Western states? Yeah, Western it's states. Such a, it's was... such a different scene, you know. You have like the build-up uh, in Olympic Valley, in Olympic Village, and and all the hype around it. Um, I know it would definitely kind of throw me off my mental game. Yeah, I got I got um, unfortunately sick with COVID like two weeks before Western States, which was that threw me off pretty big. I think like the I spent more time, um, certainly more, you know, hours focusing on my mental well-being and just trying to like find comfort in potential failure um going into that race than I did running like the the 2 weeks before I was like fully down for the count I didn't move off of a bed for like almost 5 days I tested negative I was still testing positive up until Thursday like 2 days before the race so the decision to even run it was really rooted in like all right I know my whole family made it out here to crew me. They are they are not like asking me to do this. I know it's a big deal to get a golden ticket and to be here. Like I was really grateful and felt indebted to like my sponsors for getting me to Western States and helping me with the cost of everything. And like at the end of the day, um, on Friday morning, like the day before the race, I woke up and was like, I feel like I at least need to get up es- escarpment. And from there, we'll see. And I know I'll see my family at Robinson Flats. And if that's as far as I can go, so it goes. But like, I very much changed my approach to that race from like, I want to, you know, fight with these guys that I actually think I can run with and 
that I really admire to like setting a time that I was confident I could run and maybe on the right day, it would get me top 10. And that was the women's course record of like 1647. I just like chose that time because all the splits were already laid out. And I think on a good day, I can run sub 16 there. I know like just from how I felt going into Western States that unfortunately, like the best day or, you know, my best day was not necessarily in the cards for me. And with my health as kind of the the primary concern, like really peaking my respiratory system and my heart rate was, was going to be problematic and it was going to be better to run kind of conservatively and within myself and just to not really resist the downhills and not push the uphills too much. So like when I look back on that day, there's nothing but like almost a perfectly executed race. It's just like, unfortunately that was kind of my second option. My first option would have been go balls to the wall. I'm at Western States. Let's race. Like I want to get top five. And so it goes. Yeah. Well, I think you did the smart thing and, and picked the uh, women's CR splits because they tend to run that race a lot smarter than the men often. Often, but not this year. Yeah, not this, this year. year. Men ran very smart. I remember, you know, getting the opportunity to go over to world championships with, uh, with Adam Peterman. I was kind of like, Adam, like you guys took it out so conservatively. Like what was up with that? I was fully relying on, you know, I think at mile 15 or something like that, I was still like, within the same snake as the lead men. And that wasn't what I was hoping for. I was hoping that Hayden and Jared and Adam would take it off the front and be, be going super fast and kind of pull more folks out with them. Um, but kudos to everyone who ran that day. Cause they ran really smart races and I got to run like the time I was kind of hoping to run. I, I ended up finishing in 1652 and, it uh, just so happens that was for 11th place and, and not the top 10 kind of gold standard. How do you feel about that performance now? Um, do you, you kind of like relive it in your mind a lot? And is it, do you look at it in more of kind of like a, a proud sense or are you still kind of kicking yourself? Is there, or like questioning I, your performance? I think where I kicking myself, I'd be like beating myself up for something I had no real like role in. Um, it's a bummer. I got sick. Um, I went to a wedding two weeks before Western States and like, kind of like saw all my friends from college and partied with them. And that wasn't the best choice. So in some ways, like, I don't, I don't regret doing that, but going forward, I probably won't do that. Um, in greater reflections for a lot of reasons in life, I've, I've changed my, um, like consumption habits and just like my intention around how I approach certain things. Um, but looking back, like I think strategic Jeff and I am, I like really like analyzing my performances and figuring out how I can do better. Like I lost easily 20 minutes just at aid stations. And like, I know that I didn't have, unfortunately I didn't have the right shoes for that day. Um, I'd been running in them. I basically ran them to smithereens on, couldn't reproduce them fast enough. I ended up going for a shoe I hadn't run in very often. And they trapped water and my feet kind of like little things like, all right, seeing like these actual pros like Zach Miller go through an aid station, like it's a like 10 to 20 second affair. It's unreal. And, like I would come into an aid station and I'd be like, you guys got to tell me when five minutes is up. And that was kind of my set like amount of time 
you know, I need to be out of there by five minutes. And typically I was, but when you add that up, Scott's an, Scott Trayer is an amazing competitor and an amazing racer. And I'm sure had I not spent that 15 minutes at the aid stations, he and I would have had an awesome fight to the finish in which considering that day, I think he probably still would have beat me. But, uh, um, yeah, that's like one of the few things I look back on and I don't look back on it at like beating myself up. It's just like, oh yeah, going forward, I can improve in that area. And like, that's, that's something I took away as a lesson from Western States. I made a lot of people at aid station smile. I made like a lot of people out on the course smile. I was trying to get some endorphins from other people smiling back at me. And like, I really felt the power of our community and my community back home in Colorado and New Hampshire and whatnot, like thinking of me. And in so many ways, it was a success just because like two days before I was basically like horizontal and incredibly tired and feeling like bad. Um, it was another reminder just of like the power of, I think, human ability and, and resilience. Um, and it's cool when we surprise ourselves. Uh, and that was a surprise for me that day. End of the line, I still would have liked to have been top 10 and I wasn't. So now I find myself once again, looking at golden ticket races, being like, I got to do this again. Like I got to get back there. Yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like so many people don't have success the first time they run Western. I mean, look at like Jim, right? Like the, the wrong turn heard around the world. Um, so it, it takes a couple of swings and the fact that you were 11th, I think bodes well for, for your future prospects. Yeah, I hope so. And like, I think it was, uh, kind of late November or maybe it was even when I was going over to world champs in Thailand, I, I fully had a dream that I got into hard rock that I was like, just straight up picked in the lottery. And it was like this intense wave of relief. It's like, what if that were to happen? And I didn't have to go like toe the line for a golden ticket race and go back to the extreme heat of, uh, you know, the kind of, yeah, like American river basin. And, uh, and sure enough, I didn't get picked for the hard rock lottery and I would be so thrilled to run Western States again. And I want to keep, keep on that journey, but yeah part of me is like ooh, could something else come up and like world champs is happening again this next june in yep. innsbruck and i'm like that actually would be so cool to get to go back and try to defend the usa title and like the men's 80k i don't know if it fully lines up with my my schedule and um i'm gonna go down and race bandera january 7th so coming up in a few weeks here hopefully that all goes well but I think in a lot of ways that at least like sets the stage for like, what do I want the rest of my year to look like? And if that doesn't include a golden ticket in Western States, that's great. I can, I can pivot. There's so many options. Um, that weekend, like June 25th, 6th, I swear it's like the, the best races in the world all happen on that weekend. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things I'm interested in, including just locally, the, the San Juan solstice, over in the hard rock zone. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give it another shot, but I'm not so tied to the outcome that like my season will be ruined if I'm not towing the line in Olympic village. I feel like running Western States is tough. Um, not just because of the course and the heat and all that stuff, but it's also like right when things are, are picking up in the summer and running a hundred miles, especially that race ruins your body for like several weeks, at least 
most people's bodies. Um, what was your recovery period like? And was it kind of hard to allow yourself to rest um, and kind of like fight the itch to to get back into the mountains too soon? Yeah. Um, I think the combination of having COVID and running Western States, it didn't do anything good for my body. Um, July, I felt completely like vacant. Um, August, I like got a couple runs in. I was able to pace a friend on like an objective of his. Um, but like a lot of days I'd go out and I'd maybe make it 15 minutes into my run and I'd stop my watch and I'd walk home. And like my respiratory system just was shocked. Um, I think it was one of the harder summers. Uh, I live in an amazing place, the Roaring Fork Valley, Crystal River Valleys of Colorado, really special. And like, you can get alpine like beautiful wildflowers basically from june until like the end of august depending on where you decide to go and it's one of my favorite things is to just be out either hiking or running amongst wildflowers um in the alpine zone and i didn't get to do that really once because of the decision to race western states when i was feeling the way i was um so that's a real consideration i mean i've talked with other folks they're like yeah Western States, like really cool race ruined my summer. And I definitely felt that way a bit. I think like doing a, you know, a 50 mile race, like San Juan solstice, like, or like world championships, I'd probably be able to enjoy a lot more of my summer. And that's not really a trade-off. I think you analyze and assess until you've run Western States and kind of see what the damage is. Certainly the most impactful like race on my body you know i guess compared with run rabbit or um i'm tough like i bounce back after those a lot quicker than western states and that kind of balances with like it's western states like come on it's like the real deal it's so cool um so yeah it all goes into the calculus of like what what do i want this year to look like and uh with Western States, that ego does come off the shelf and it's like, this is, you know, trail running fame. And this is, um, a cool opportunity to not only race some of the fastest guys and, uh, men and women in the U S and the world, but like also race a really historied roster of, of finishers. And I think right now I'm like just off the top 100. So come on, I got to get up there. Yeah. What did you, what did you spend your time not running doing over the summer? That's a question I really like to ask runners. So I spent a ton of time walking my dog. Um, and I tried to do some alternative modes of exercise. Like I love biking, even biking. Like it wasn't even like getting out of zone two. It was getting out of zone one. Like if my heart rate started going up, my body started kind of tanking. So like I didn't really get to bike all that much and feel good on the mountain bike or road bike, gravel bike. I tried rollerblading a little bit. Turns out that also just did not feel good on my body. Um, we have an awesome uh, act or we have awesome access to river sports here. So I spent some time paddleboarding, just like kind of floating down the river. Um, a good friend of mine from college pulled a permit for the Grand Canyon. So my, my girlfriend and I actually got to go, uh, on the first half of the Grand Canyon in August. And that was a like nice change to just like, all right, 
there's definitely no running down here. We're just like changing, changing the pace. Um, but yeah, it would be a funny thing. I guess it's a funny thing to not run during the summer. And it's not even not run. Like I didn't get to go hike. I didn't get to explore like the mountains in any uh, capacity. And there's just so much daylight that it like seems like an eternity every day. Whereas like right now, were I not running, like I'm not going to get out for a run today. Like it's going to be dark in like an hour. It doesn't seem like uh, the the end of the world. But when there's eight more hours of sunlight to kind of ponder and stare at Mount Sopris and these like beautiful mountains, uh, definitely got under my skin a bit. I tried to lean into my work a good bit. I work in the ski industry, um, kind of for this ski boot liner brand called ZipFit, um, and then I reset a lot of intentions around journaling and reading and found that like if I was to start my day in the mornings instead of getting out for a run but actually just start my day by reading and not getting on my phone or computer that like in general I was much happier so yeah what's on your nightstand right now what what type of books Persepolis it's a graphic novel about an Iranian woman kind of living through the regime change in the um I guess eighties. Um, really cool. Uh, I think earlier this fall, my girlfriend and I were talking about, um, the protests in Iran and trying to understand it better. And someone recommended Persepolis and, uh, it's been an awesome read. Um, yeah, I also have just the original Mary Shelley Frankenstein that my good friend, Nate, who's an English teacher and an amazing author himself, like, keeps insisting I read and lent it to me and like I just haven't gotten into it yet so um I might try to switch back to Frankenstein after Persepolis but there's a a couple other titles on my short list that might might leapfrog it do you read much uh I guess like running literature you know like Murakami stuff like that or do you stay away from that I have read like um Murakami is like an interesting one because I I think his book at least reads very much in a way of like running as a as a yoga practice or like as like right. it's it's part of the routine and I really feel that like I do practice running um and I I practice running in a way that like when I go out it has a different effect on my mind on what I'm thinking about I think spiritually and that like state of flow that you get from you know processing thoughts while in motion is um i think it's really helpful for me when i practice like yoga or hot yoga like my thoughts are basically strictly on like survive like come on i can do this breathe come on you can uh, uh. like i feel like i'm gonna die whenever i actually do that practice so to each their own like i know running is not everyone's uh comfort zone or primary interest but i definitely explore and have explored a lot of running literature, I think, especially through high school, like I was certainly the kid who at least wanted to look like he was reading once a runner at track practice. But the book I think that had the greatest influence on just like my outlook was why we run by Bernd Heinrich. He's a biologist, was a biology professor at UVM for a long time in Vermont. I think he might still be that looked at like the physiological, like explanation of why humans are actually the most adept runners uh on the face of the earth and like this concept of running 
400 miles or something, you know, whatever TDG, like 260 miles. Um, that's not a real, like, uh, I guess that's not a reality for a lot of other species, but humans have like made these adaptations and like evolved to, to be exceptional, uh, ambulators, uh, like really strong bipeds and how that impacts our lung capacity and the hair on our heads and whatnot. So that book, if anyone hasn't read like why we run definitely cool to check out Bert Heinrich was an ultra marathoner and was exploring like kind of these limits of human, human effort, um, and kind of hearkening back to this time when humans ran livestock or elk antelope, like to exhaustion as a form of like hunting. Um, so yeah, that one's one that stands out. Have you read Poverty Creek Journal by Thomas Gardner? I have not. Okay. That's one you should put on your list. It's really short. It's just like a series of vignettes uh, by this English professor at uh, Virginia Tech. And man, it like it changed my relationship with running um, like by measures. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe if it's uh, not too late, put that on your Christmas list. Yeah, I will definitely check it out. And we've got a great little bookstore here in town. So I'll uh, I'll see if, if they've got it. Otherwise, I'll track it down. So before I get you out of here, I do want to talk about uh, Chiang Mai and your experience uh, representing the U.S. Um, what were some takeaways from, from that? Holy shit. Um, we won a gold medal at World Championships. It was nuts. I, I like, it was so cool to represent Team USA in a way that like, I always kind of had a hunch it would be cool. It just far exceeded my expectations. Um, I think having gone over 10 or 12 years, like without that cross country team dynamic, I had totally forgotten how powerful it is being out there with teammates. And it does take fostering team chemistry. And I, tip my hat to Adam Mary and Eric Lapuma and Adam Peterman for like all of us hung out a good bit going into the race. And we like tried to get out and run together and, and share meals together. And like, we definitely made a point of going out there and, and having each other's backs and like really thinking about one another. Um, that's all to say, I don't think any of us expected a podium other than Adam Peterman. Um, I know that factually because none of us brought our podium suits that you're required to wear on the podium to the race other than adam peterman so like we really were just going out there to try to i guess show the world that like you know we were we were there to put up a fight or um to give it our best effort and i think adam mary and i both were coming at it from a role or a place of like what is team selection? Like, was it just us? Were we the only people who applied? Like how deep was the actual pool of applicants? Like I was surprised when I got an email. Um, I think Adam also felt that way. Adam Peterman, maybe less so, although he said he was also surprised when he got the email. Uh, but like I had a good race season, you know, kind of from fall of 2021 through, through last summer. And, um, I think we, we really wanted to go out and prove ourselves. And, uh, like every time I heard like, Hey, you guys are like right on the fringe of podiuming. Like I was digging as deep as possible. And for me on that day, like 
I ended up having debilitating leg cramps through my quads, all the way through my calves. So any uphills, my quads would get cramp. Any downhills, my calves would cramp. And like, I was just running on stiff legs. Like I was like, I need to do this. Like at one point I saw Adam Peterman, he was a full like 40 minutes ahead of me, had already done this whole loop and was like cruising down right as I was still trying to run up to the final aid station. I was like, Adam is having a day. Like I need to dig deeper right now and like have a day as well. Cause I knew Eric LaPuma was, was showing up big. Um, what an amazing opportunity. I think I went into even last season. I think I've had this feeling that like USATF mountain ultra trail is pretty disorganized. It's like, doesn't really seem like it's like a fair selection process. I had all of these feelings and getting there and understanding that it was like five volunteers who were there with us and that there is no MUT like organization and it's people who are passionate about this sport and maybe have been passionate about it since they competed in it in the eighties and nineties really reframed the entire experience for me. And um, yeah, looking back, I'm now like incredibly grateful for Richard Bolt and Paul Kirsch and Tom Hooper and like this team that was there to support us because, uh, it was, it was a once in a lifetime, maybe not, we'll see, but, uh, certainly a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think competing for team USA, like brought the best competitor out of me that I've, I've gotten to witness. I think I, I really like the the team aspect of events like that. And I, w- I, I do think there's ways to implement that in other areas of our sport. Um, I'd be curious to to hear some ideas. But was that your first time racing in Asia? Yeah. And I, I went on like a kind of touristy trip to China in 20, ooh, maybe 2012, 2013. So I've been over kind of in that part of the world the only thing I like really took away from that was like how far it is away and how foreign the food can really feel. Um, Thailand is super far away. It was like the thing I was maybe the most uncertain about, about like taking that spot and going to, to race at world mountain trail running championships was like swallowing the like 60 plus hours of travel to get there and home. And, uh, I'm happy I did it it's still really far away. And like, um, I think the, the actual climate and like terrain for racing reminded me a lot more of like New Hampshire and Vermont and my like roots than, uh, than anything out here in the West. It's like Rudy, it's rugged. It's like Rocky steep, not a lot of switchbacks. Um, and like hot and humid. So I felt like the conditions actually favored me in a lot of ways, but wild experience. Thailand loves trail running and generally like endurance sports. So many cyclists out and about in Chiang Mai. That's really cool. I got to get over there. I imagine you, you might've had some, uh, some heat training left over from Western States. Yeah. And I helped my business partner build a sauna, um, finishing oh, up, like last fall. And it's proven to be really great that like, the person I spend the most time with in my work and like where I work happens to have like a sweet sauna at his house and, and is very generous with it. So, um, that's helpful. And then hot yoga has just been like a kind of like curveball blessing. It's actually the hardest thing I think I've ever done. 75 minutes of hot yoga. 
I just feel like in a different way, my body and spirit separate and like, it's just like such an effort to get through, but uh really good training. And um, yeah, I think the combination of those two is, is a good, good mix. Hot yoga is a good takeaway from this episode. Oh um, yeah. So you got Bandera next. Yeah, I've got Bandera next. Unfortunately, I just getting over the flu and um, been kind of on a on a bit of an unfortunate ride the last like 10, 15 days of just feeling pretty under the weather. Um, I'm hoping that my training, you know, for the most part, was really strong this fall and uh, that I'm in a good place kind of through the holiday season. Um, just prioritize rest and and recovery and making sure mentally and physically I feel like I'm I'm ready to put in a hard effort. Um, I love Bandera. I'm not a huge fan of Texas. Chris at Tejas Trails is like one of the nicest people I've met. They put on such a good race. Um, my dad's coming down to support me and he came down in 2019 to Bandera and it's just like, it's an awesome scene. It's a very, I think, like different scene than I think trail running and races like around uh, around Colorado and yeah good energy so put out my best effort i've gotten fifth and third there so hopefully i can keep with that numerical trend and yeah have a have a strong day and a day i'm really proud of awesome well jeff get some rest over the holidays uh this has been a real treat thanks so much matt it's been yeah real real treat for me to get to actually talk about some some books and and fun reading and uh thanks for uh for sharing some uh, some of your story with me as well That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Jeff for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.